0: days of troubles rows of battles
1: hands of victory, we shall walk good afternoon once again friends and family and welcome to wehc 90.7 and you just tuned in to the the show she walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock and boy oh boy are we glad that you're with us today we're we're excited about our topic today we we think that it's going to be beneficial in the workplace beneficial in the home place beneficial in the political arena all kinds of places because today we're talking about the well the why but really we're talking about creating inclusive spaces and places so carly hey what what do you think about that this is your baby you <laughs> you really want to talk about this so what what are you thinking
0: well, I think it's super important, and we're gonna get into the why here in just a minute, but um, this is also something that Sharon and I know pretty well. We're usually pretty honest on this show if we don't know a lot about something. <laughs> we'll say, yeah. okay, you know, we're we're learning with you all, right. Um, but this is something that Sharon and I have actually done some trainings on and you know helped um, other groups kind of learn how to do. Um, and it's creating inclusive spaces. Um, so we've talked to students about it on how to create inclusive spaces as, from a student perspective and also from a um, like workplace perspective. So, you know, people who are leaders within their communities on how to create inclusive spaces. And this is something that we know how to do because we've taught people how to do it. Um, yeah, yay, so we- <laughs> yay, it's our, it's our uh, what do you call it? Our uh,
1: bellywig or our uh, wheelhouse,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what we wanted to do, we talk a lot about like theory on this show and about, you know, the, the practical lived experience of people, which is extremely important, but it's also nice to be able to give our audience things that they can use. So tools that they can actually implement, whether it's in their workplaces or their organizations, their homes, their lives, whoever, however, whoever, wherever. So um, hopefully we can talk a little bit about that today sounds good because I, I think and we talk about
1: diversity equity, inclusion, and belonging and people hate those words. and of course, we know there's some flack in in uh political arenas everywhere and we're talking about having to to dismantle and not use those terms and to get rid of we we talk sometimes about critical race theory and some other things like that 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 we talk about. but I, I firmly believe and and I just believe this from a people perspective, Carly that having a sense of belonging or uh, being included should be something that we think about in all those areas of life that you talked about, whether it's work, whether it's home um you know, whether it's in school, whether it's in a social club, anything if you don't feel like you belong, you won't stay there. I heard a man say something years ago, and he may not have been the first person to say it, but he's the one that I heard say it. There's a guy named Jean Gene, Gene Moore, and he was preaching a sermon, but he said this thing that profoundly changed my life forever He said, go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. Go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. And I think... You know, one of my whys for why build inclusive spaces or why set the atmosphere for them to organically and serendipitously happen is because you want to go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. And you know the difference. People know the difference in celebration and toleration.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've talked on this show about tokenism as well. And I think when it's that toleration, not celebration, Mm -hmm. that's where that tokenism comes in. Um and we talk about that in our training a little bit where we say, you know it is one thing to say, here are the people included in this group. But it is a completely different thing to say, we are so happy you're here. We are listening to you. your voice matters. And unfortunately, we have way too much of the first kind and not enough of the second kind, right? Mm-hmm. So, so many mm-hmm. groups and organizations and, you know, even groups of friends or groups of people have, you know, oh, well, you know, this is, not super important, or we're not really going to listen to this person's voice. Or we have them here um, to fill a quota, but we're really not that interested in what they have to say. Um, Or maybe you even bring them in because you do appreciate their perspective, but then they start speaking about their perspective a little bit too much. And that's, you know, they're calling things out a little too much and we don't really want them to do that. So, you know, it, it goes back to that piece. And I think that's why you'll hear a lot of people switching from DEI to DEIB. Diversity, equity, inclusion is now diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Because that belonging piece is the piece of celebration. We are so happy that you are here. You belong. We value you.
1: Yeah. And to to piggyback on that is that I think You know, like I've been many places as a black woman and then as a black woman who is clergy, I have been many places where I am the only. And I say it all the time, You know, one is the loneliest number there could ever be. I think somebody said something similar to that or that in a song, but it really is true because when you're the only, you don't feel like you're supposed to be there. And there are many people who make you know that your feelings are correct, that they don't want you there or that they are just tolerating you or that you're there because you're there to fill a quota so that we can say that we have you. And so that's why I think it's important for us to agency is important when we are creating these uh, inclusive spaces is that, you know, just to bring somebody to the table that's from another, you know, cultural background doesn't mean that you're going to even hear like Carly said, we're so glad you're here more than that, we're so glad you're here. And we're so glad we value your opinion and what you bring to the table. So that whole agency is critical for me in why I have, you know, inclusive spaces, because it doesn't do any good to just have you there and say, now sit there, nice woman or nice man or nice brown person or nice black person. You just sit there, but your lived experience, your epistemology is not anything that we're going to consider here because you're not part of the dominant group.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think it also goes to show that that is also why that tokenism piece is so dangerous, right? Because if you are the only Black woman at a table or the only Black man at a table or the only, you know, brown person at the table, you know, in order to speak up and have your voice heard requires you know, such courage, you know, you're constantly having to battle it out, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, this is why you need to think about this. And because you're the only one at the table with that lived experience. If you are at a table with a lot of other people who have a similar lived experience to you, it's much easier to voice your lived experience and also have that that point of view validated. And it seems that it feels like, Well, one, do I even want to speak up? Is my point of view even going to be valued or heard? And two, I'm going to have to battle it out on my own for everything, right? Instead of having a group of people who all have various lived experiences, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And, And I think, you know, in the academy, because the academy is owned by a specific group of people and it always has been, you know, the academy is owned by white men. And we can go back and look at what has been considered academic and what has considered value added and what somebody brings to the table. And so women's ways of knowing and Black women's ways of knowing, Black people and Brown people's ways of knowing, we've had to push ourselves in to say, hey, have you considered this? Because that's that's just not been the way that it, it's been. I mean, we, we talk about academia and we talk about it from the hallowed perspective of the ivory tower. You know, and so that could have a double entendre or more than one connotation, you know, uh, about the ivory tower, about the elitism and the, you know, the disconnect with many communities. Sometimes those places of academia are in places surrounded by people and places that are not welcomed in that environment, you know, and so. I think it's important for us to, to figure that out. And, and Carly, it gets back to one other way. I talked about the why, but one other way to, to look at and create these inclusive spaces is to examine your own biases. And of course we taught about biases in, in our, in our workshop and, and you gave the historical connotation. I don't know if you recall or remember that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I remember a little bit. I think I can do some of it off the top of my head. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so the dismantling, the recognizing and dismantling of personal bias is such a huge part in creating an inclusive space, because once you are aware of the biases that you have, and you start to deconstruct those biases, you will start to be an ally in in a place in a space, the places and spaces that you find yourself. So when we talk about bias, we talk about it from the perspective that, you know, bias is something that humans just do. Um, It's almost... Mm -hmm. And the reason that it's so insidious is because it's so much of it is unconscious. So, you know, we are usually in a group of people and we'll say something like, you know, my brain has already picked up on who in this room is wearing a red shirt, right? My brain knows that my brain knows that five people in this room are wearing red shirts and the rest of the people are not. because our brain likes to create groups and categories for things. And it comes from our primitive human brains of, you know, that's how we stayed alive. We categorized things. We knew certain things were dangerous and certain things weren't dangerous based on our own lived experience. And so our brain learned to make connections really quickly in order to keep us safe and keep us alive. The problem is that now when we're not, you know, fighting for our lives every single day out in the middle of the jungle, it's now started to create biases and stereotypes based on groups of people, um, which is a very condensed version of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But But I think it was good because I
1: think people need to see that from a historical frame of reference, Mm -hmm. you know, to see that all biases aren't bad just to know how you get them and how you can deconstruct them is where, where the, the good place and the good space comes in my world. One of the places that, uh, I use inclusive language and boy, am I shot down lots of times, you know, in the Protestant, the Judeo Christian world. I mean, to see God as woman is a heresy. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, everything that I possibly can do, even using the German word, God for the creator, for, you know, the infinite one. uh, I I know we can go, we can break all that down, but I'm just going to say God on this. But I mean, sometimes I feel really out of place when everybody around me is he guiding it? it, it pierces me. It makes me think that, you know, the gender, my gender identity is not welcomed in spaces like, quote unquote, the Judeo Protestant church. And so I feel an outsider lots of times, you know, in in that environment that I'm supposed to be a person who, you know, helps to bring people in to that, that group.
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And you had a great catch in our last episode um, when I was saying black and brown brothers and sisters, you said black, brown brothers, sisters, and siblings, which is yeah. fantastic. That was a great <laughs> catch. Um, but that's what, you know, we we actively try to do that. And again, we're not perfect at it, but we yeah. try to use that inclusive language because how alienating is it to be in a space and not hear yourself in that space, right? yeah. Like hearing he God all the time makes you feel less valid. And so there's so much um, power in making sure that you are using inclusive language as much as you possibly can. And and we see that from the pronoun perspective. And of course I know,
1: and everything is changing and we are not the experts for real. We just kind of act like we are in this subject, but (laughs) everything is changing, you know, because now you used to could say, what are your pronouns? But now it's important for us to say, how shall we refer to you? You know, I mean, everything is is constantly changing. It's still okay to say your pronoun preference, but really, it's who you are. So it's how how should we refer to you? And so we're constantly, language is helping us uh, in these inclusive spaces because it is constantly evolving. It is constantly changing. And, you know, you just want to be up on it. You don't, you may not be perfect, but you want to be up on why we say what we say. I was doing an interview the other day with a woman and I must have missed the pronoun section, but I was quickly corrected because she said my pronouns are they and she. And I had been using she based on assumption the whole time, and I had never used they. But, you know, in the conversation, she was bringing me in subtly and gently and telling me you know, other things without blurting out, hit see me, see me because I was just, and the part that I was honoring was a part that she honored, but I wasn't honoring the other part. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't know the other part. I must've missed the pronoun introduction or something, you know? Yeah. And, and so they brought me in to acceptable pronouns for them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and i think one great way to um create an inclusive space is to provide a space for pronouns so um one way like we do that on zoom by adding our pronouns in our in our zoom names or um going ahead and introducing yourself with your pronouns and then anybody mm-hmm. who wants to follow suit can um that's a really great way to do that so yeah there's a there's a lot of really great tools out there on how to like go ahead and just create it from the beginning, right? Yeah. Go ahead and establish that so that we're not having to go back later and, you know, provide a space for that because we've already done that. So that would be a really good tool to use.
1: And Carly, what about the one that, you know, we have political angst about, but the whole bathroom bills,
0: Mm, you know,
1: I mean, finding places, you know, that are inclusive for all people to use the bathroom and feel comfortable in that,
0: is a small thing. And yet many of our places and spaces don't have no. that. No, I think, you know, having uh, gender neutral restrooms is a great option. And um I was at Bloom, which is a restaurant in um, Bristol recently, and they have three restrooms. They don't say man, you know, male or female. They just say restroom. And every restroom is nice and big and well lit every restroom has a changing table for children in it, you know it's ever it's usable by whatever gender, and I think that's amazing, because you know that's as simple as it needs to be. Right, Um, but we constantly are in this battle about having gender neutral restrooms. Even though most restrooms, if you go into a place and they only have one restroom, that's a gender neutral restroom. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know why we're all up in arms about it, but
1: yeah, because that that has been the norm some places, you know, you just yeah. wait for whoever. But but like you said, those are those are big political angst that people bring up and and mm-hmm. and, and do and they do it's the same way with accessibility. I I went, I took my mom to watch my nephew play ball in, uh, I think it's in Kingsport. And there's this huge center, uh, sports center. I mean, I think they've got like six courts at one time. So you can have six different games going on simultaneous. Well, my mom is in a wheelchair. And so we went to the designated bathroom female and that's how she identifies. And my mom is almost 90. She's 89 years old, be 90 in September. So these things culturally matter to her a lot more than they do, other people. So we went to the designated bathroom for women and went in there and the quote unquote, differently abled handicap stall was locked and said, this is out of order. And so I said, well, where do we go? What do we do? And so I went there and somebody said, yeah, it's out of order all the time. It doesn't work. Well, this is a place that charges $15 a day for you to come and watch these sports. So this is not a place where, you know, inner city you're, you're struggling. And so finally, they said, well, what you can do is go to the handicapped bathroom in the male bathroom. So you could see me trying to navigate a 90-year-old African-American woman in a public space to go to a bathroom that's for men, quote unquote, which was very, very difficult to do. And then so they, they closed down the restroom and had all these little kids, little boy kids quote unquote, standing out there. So when we come out with me rolling my mom in a wheelchair uh, in front of all those kids, I mean, it was the worst space for her. I mean, she yeah. felt totally embarrassed and forgot about. It. And then when I asked them about it, they said, well, we've been having trouble with that. And I said, they said, well, we accommodated you. And and I said, but your accommodation was insufficient.
0: Yes. Because
1: <laughs> she had to go through all of that. And then to be rolled out, the bathroom's locked. She's rolled out. And here are all these little boys, 9, 10, 11, 12, looking at this Black woman come out in a wheelchair with one leg. Mm. And all she wanted to do was use the bathroom.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, thank goodness you were there to help her. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean when we think about the accessibility side of things, there are so many places and spaces that are not accessible to people. And for both physical um, accessibility and also when we talk about like neurodivergence and that sort of thing, there are just so many places and spaces that are not accessible. And while things are improving overall, I mean, it's still, this is something that people have to live with every single day. And like you said, you know, thank goodness you were there to help her, but what if she had been on her own?
1: Oh yeah. And, and, and I think many places and spaces don't, don't think about that. I mean, it's yesterday I took her to buy, um, oh, a flag that she puts out at her house. And so there were two steps. So I had to lift the wheelchair up two steps. And then after we got in all of the, the the aisles were only big enough for a walking person to go. They were not big enough for a wheelchair. So luckily I had gone to high school with the person that was working there and she remembered my mom and hugged her and embraced her and started immediately moving things around so that we could move around just to go over there and buy a flag to hang outside. And so nobody thought that somebody in a wheelchair might come there to make a purchase and they, they hadn't thought and they hadn't considered. And so I think people don't think twice you know, I mean, you and I as able bodied people, we don't think twice about walking into a restaurant and wondering if we're going to find a table that's sufficient, you know, all of those things. And yet uh, in my journey with my mother, who's in a chair, I've had to think about those things often. And and sometimes I have to go ahead of time or call to see what they have before I I take her there, especially from a bathroom perspective, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great example of our privilege as well as able-bodied people, right? Um, When we talk about privilege, a lot of discussion is had about white privilege, which is valid and important and needs to happen, but there's all kinds of privilege. So able-bodied privilege is privilege. Um, Straight privilege is privilege. Um, If you have any sort of economic wealth, that is privilege. So there's a lot of different elements to that. And I think that that is such a great example of privilege because if you are able-bodied and you are able to, you know, you want to go get a flag for your yard, you just get in the car and drive and go there and pick one up. Um, and you don't really have to worry about if the aisles are going to be too narrow or if you're going to be able to walk up the steps to get in the store, right? right. Um, that is a level of privilege that we have, and so that's a great example of how when you when you have a level of privilege, you walk in the world in a certain way that other people can't, um, and you unless you are brought to awareness about your level of privilege, you just, you don't know, you don't think about it. And it's not because you're quote unquote, a bad person. It's just because you've never had to think about it. So when someone else brings it up, you're like, oh God, okay. I see that now. Right. But I wasn't thinking about that before.
1: Right. And you're right. It really does. It is something that becomes personal, because most of the champions for full inclusion, especially for differently abled people, it's coming out of their experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And of course, I think, you know, the same thing for a seat at the table. We have a a, a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging resolution in, in our Holston conference that demands, quote unquote, that people of color have a seat at every table. Well, I mean, that's good in theory, but who's if the person who is setting up the table? doesn't think about that every time, guess what? They invite people to the table who look like them, who act like them, who talk like them, et cetera. And then at the last minute, they either remember or they don't remember. And they have to be nudged by somebody else like me who says, hey, you don't have anybody that's brown or black or anybody that's a woman or anybody that's LGBTQ plus. You don't have anybody different from the, from the at the table. And they say, oh, okay. And they run out and get somebody. And so they set a table that was not for all people. So the table itself is already jacked up mm-hmm. because it never intended on including the other people.
0: Yeah. And then how does that person feel that is the only person at the table? And, you know, are they going to be listened to and valid? Are their opinions going to be valid? You know, or are they just going to be written off because they're just here to fill that seat? Right. And that's where that whole tokenism piece comes back in. Mm-hmm. And the whole the whole
1: piece, I mean, we talked about this a couple of ex- episodes back when we were talking about international women's history and and that their theme this year, or women, International Women's Day, the theme this year was uh, embrace equity. Well, you know, creating inclusive spaces is an act of equity. Mm-hmm. And we don't always think about that. You know, we just think that we're going to do it. But what it, what we're really saying is that you matter. We want you at the table. You bring something that will make the difference, that will be the difference. And we want you at at this table and we want you to feel both physically and psychologically welcomed at this table. You know, if you were using that as an example of of the inclusive space, whatever, whatever you use. But we, we want you there and we want what you to say to to be an addition, not to, to be unheard. We don't want you to be quiet when you're there.
0: Yeah, we we actually care about your thoughts and opinions and lived experience, you know. And there's a lot of different ways to say that with your actions um, and the way that you set a space. And there's a lot of ways to say that with your words. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, depending on where you are, whether this is a workplace or this is a, um, you know, a more social gathering, there's a lot of different ways to say that or with your actions again, and with your words, or even with your symbols, right? So one of the things that I do in my office at work is I have (laughs) have a pride flag in my office, and I have a big Black Lives Matter sign in my office, Mm -hmm. Um, so that when a student comes in, I don't have to say anything. They already know that this is an inclusive space, and You know, that can put them at ease. And even though we're there to talk about academic stuff, they know that I'm someone who is going to honor their identity. Um, And so that's a great way to help. You know, if that is something that you all feel comfortable doing, that's a great way to just make your space a little bit more inclusive.
1: Yeah, currently, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago. Uh, I did this thing talking about iconic racism and uh, we talked about how symbols really matter and they matter most and they matter both positively and they matter negatively and they send a message without anybody having to actually say anything and a lot of them are built into our structures and we we continue those I mean when I I used to be at uh, the University of Tennessee and um as a faith-based organization and it was a Wesley Foundation so it was tied to the United Methodist Church and all that but one of the first things that I did when I went there was just go through and say let's take all the symbols down that are exclusive and let's put up all the symbols that are inclusive mm-hmm. and that spread from what we had was predominantly white uh, you know Methodist students Mm -hmm. And when we did that, that one act of doing that opened it up. We had Muslim, we had Hindu, we had black, we had white, we had Latinx, we had Asian. We had all these people coming to create a group because the space did not exclude them. So you're right from the perspective of symbols, how important it is uh, to have those that include and to get rid of those that exclude.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that talk that you gave because that was an incredible talk. And maybe, <laughs> maybe we can do an episode about that later. On, that was so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, those symbols are very important. And so I think you know the more that you can think about your space, what in my space is inclusive? What in my space is exclusive, right? Um, I think that's a great way to do those little things that are gonna set you on in the right path. Yeah, I, I think
1: that that we it, it might be good for us to kind of talk a little bit more about this. I know we're running out of time in the future because, you know, when we talk about inclusivity, I think we don't really talk about it enough. Mm hmm. You know, and sometimes we talk about diversity and even sometimes we talk about equity. But when we start talking about inclusion and belonging, those two are real close. I mean, and we can we can talk the next time about gradient, about what the difference is. But I don't think we talk nearly enough about that, because to get to where you feel like you belong, you have to have been included. And that means body, soul, spirit. That means your ideas. That means your lived experience. That means everything. So, um, and I I think that could go a long way in our spaces, whether they are personal spaces or work spaces or faith community spaces, whatever, just to let everybody feel like they are welcomed is amazing.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely want us to continue this discussion because I think it's so valuable. And giving people tools that they can use is Great. I think that that's just even more helpful. Um, And I think that we can include um, in that discussion a little bit more about the symbols, a little bit more about things that you can do in your space that, you know, don't, you don't really have to say anything. It's just there and people are able to see it and know it. Other things that we would like to do um, in upcoming episodes is talk a little bit more about that abolition justice piece, that abolition feminist piece. I know we have talked about that in the past, maybe having some guests on to talk about Oh it yeah, here, yeah. Because I think that's also really important to kind of return back to that discussion. Um, but we would also love to hear from you all. If there's anything that you would like us to, to talk about or any guests that you think would be a good fit for this show, please let us know. We would definitely love to hear from you all and if you have any questions for us. But other Otherwise, we will be um, here with you again next week. We really appreciate you joining us. Have a great week. All right. So long, everybody. Pass of victory. We share.